This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Um, My parents did a great job preaching last week, didn't they, to you about marriage? Yes. So I I listened to the message this week, and so I'm getting this vibe when they preach when I'm not here, that they are projecting to you that I have them on these very strict constraints. And then they, you know, they didn't want to go a certain length and all. They didn't want to sing a hymn or something because they didn't think I would like it. You deprived everybody of listening to your singing. So they're, they're actually going to get a chance to preach again in a couple of weeks. And so you just need to bring a hymn. So next time, so dad, you can sing melody, mom, you can sing harmony, and then you can just bless the people with some sort of hymn next time you preach. <clears throat> but don't let them fool you, though, about these time constraints situations. When they would go out of town, uh, back when I was helping them, they had very strict guidelines for us, so I'm just doing what I was trained to do. <laughs> Um, we are in week five, four of a series that we have called Me, You, and You. And this series is all about relationships. Um, God is a relational being, the, the Trinitarian God, the triune God. And our understanding of God is that he existed from eternity past as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for love to exist, there had to be relationships within the context of the Trinity. So we are created as relational beings. We are created in the image of God, men and women, as relational beings. So we have this need for relationships, whether as friendships or marriage, um, within a parenting relationships with your children or with your parents. We find ourselves in relationships all the time. Life is all about the relationships that we have. The struggle, though, that we have as humans is that sometimes we just don't do relationships really well. We know that there's a litany of broken marriages today and people are struggling with their friendships and people leave jobs because of poor relationships. And so the scripture has a lot to say to us about how to have successful relationships. And the idea, the main idea in this series, this me, you, and you, and the last you, the capitalized Y-U, references God. That we want God speaking into our relationships. We want his word speaking in to how we do relationships. He's a relational God. He knows how we should do relationships. And so we want that to be authoritative in our lives, not just our past. Now, some of us have come from good families and some of us have come from not so good families. But even the best family out there still has a measure of dysfunction. Um, how they did relationships, some things that had been passed down for years and generations and generations. And so we didn't, we shouldn't just want to continue things because that's what we've done. We should want to insert God's will into our relationships. A bunch of us have, you know, a hurt from past relationships. And that can affect how we do relationships now because we've been, um, had pain inflicted on our hearts. Somebody left us or a friend left us or a marriage broke up. And then the relationships that we have now are all guided by this hurt that we feel in our heart. So we don't want to let all of those things from our past guide our relationships. We should actually want to have God's ways. Um, Once again, the ultimate relational being that in the essence of creation, that he's created us to be relational. 
So he has wonderful things for us in his word, how to do um, successful and healthy relationships. Because we want these healthy relationships. Ultimately, we desire to have healthy relationships. If you've ever had a broken relationship of any description, it is no fun. It is painful. Um, but the scripture can help us so that we don't have to just have uh, a lifestyle of broken relationships. So we've been talking about this a few weeks uh, a few weeks in this month, and uh, when we started out talking about it, we, we went back to the book of Genesis, and we saw right from the beginning uh, the relationship with Adam and Eve that went south, that went sour, that what it sounded like was when Adam and Eve sinned, that Adam blamed God and Eve, and then Eve uh, blame the serpent. And so it's very easy for us to think as it relates to other people in our life when things are going wrong, it's really easy just to blame shift and just think it's other people's fault. Um, this person's fault and that person's fault and my parents' fault and it's just easy just to blame other people. And what we looked at is we saw as we think about relationships, it's very important for us to think about what we can bring to a relationship, what we can give in the context of any relationship we, with we, that we have versus what can I get? What can I get from you? And what can I get from my friends? And what can I get from my spouse? And what can I get from my employees or my employer? That a lot of times if we live life like that or all of the time, we're just going to be hopelessly frustrated because these people in our lives are always going to fall short because they are human like you and me. They are imperfect. That they struggle with their flesh just like you struggle with their flesh. So if we're always trying to get from other people all of the time, relationally, it's just going to be a very dissatisfying way to live, that we have to think about relationships, about what can I give, what can I do in the context of this relationship. And our other expectation uh, when we are in relationships of any description is that it's going to be messy. People aren't perfect. They make wrong choices sometimes. So it's going to be a little bit frustrating and it's going to be a little bit um, difficult and sometimes just things are going to be happening to people um, in the context of our relationship and it is just going to be messy living and being in relationships with other human beings and then we my wife and I talked a couple weeks ago um, specifically about marriage discussing and um, talking about embracing the differences of our spouses and we gave you a laundry list of things how Nicole and I are different um, just as you and your spouse are very different, you might have a different list of things, but the idea would be to appreciate those differences um, versus making those differences a point of contention or a point of argument. And then my parents last week talked about the idea of being accepted, secure, and getting your identity from God. Specifically, once again, in the context of marriage, that we don't want to try to get our ultimate acceptance from our spouse that we can't get our ultimate security from our spouse that only those things can come from god and what's happening a lot of times difficulties within the context of marriage is we're putting demands on our spouse that they can't actually meet uh, because they aren't god and so that was a, a tremendous message if you missed any of those you can catch up on our website podcast or on our church app. And then one other thing I just wanted to bring to your attention again. On our website, under the Discover More tab, we have a family resource page 
that has um, just recommendations for you for books and resources and some websites that can help you um, in the context of your relationship. Parenting, uh, marriage, finances. There's some links to some websites um, that have videos on demand for all of these different topics. So that resource is on there for you to help you and your family so you can make yourself available to that. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And this is uh, the jumping off scripture for us in this series. And it says this starting in verse 9. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now that third strand in any relationship should be the strand of God, as it were. Um, Having God involved in any relationship that we have strengthens that relationship, a parenting relationship, a marriage relationship, having the wisdom and ways of God helps us in relationships. But the whole idea of these verses is that we shouldn't be going through life alone. We should have friends, that we should have relationships. It's not, we're not intended to go through life alone, that we can help each other. And, and we all know this. We have You know, we can think about some different seasons of life where maybe we've gone through some difficulties, we've faced some struggles, and then we can have a very specific memory about a friend or somebody that helped us through that time. And that's what relationships are all about. Uh, Mutually giving, honoring relationships that sometimes... Uh, the people that we are in relationship with are going to need our help. They're going to need our assistance. They're going to need our wisdom. They're going to need our love. And then same way, we're going to need them sometimes. And that's what relationships are all about. This wonderful uh, mutuality, this self-sacrifice available for the people um, in which we are having relationships with. So today we're going to be talking about something that runs through um, all relationships, relationships of any description, we're going to be talking about communication or we're going to be talking about words. And, you know, I told my wife that I was going to be talking about this today and she said, I, I need a message like that. And then she says, I need sometimes a topper up of a message like that. But the truth is all of us uh, need a message on words or we struggle with communication. Has anyone ever struggled with communication? No, I know all married people in here. You should have your hand up. Sometimes we just struggle getting the things across that we're trying to say. And then we say certain things and then we struggle understanding what other people are saying. And so the difficulty a lot of times um, that inhibits us from having healthy relationships is just our inability to communicate clearly or to communicate sort of in calm tones or good tones or good healthy tones. Um, and so the scripture has a lot, a lot, a lot to say about the words that we, that we speak. So we're just going to look through a bunch of those verses today together. So let's turn uh, to James chapter 3, and we'll start reading here. James chapter 3, verse 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle his whole body. So in other words, what these verses are saying, there is actually no perfect person. Because all of us do stumble in many ways, the scripture is saying. 
But if the perfect person is the person who actually isn't going to stumble with their words, and we all know at different times that we've stumbled with our words, we've said the wrong things, and we said the wrong things at the wrong time. And then the words were out there, and it was too late to pull them back in. Has anyone ever wished you could do that? Sometimes you said words, and you wish you could just reel them back in. But we all struggle with the words that we say. But then it, it says about our words, um, if we're able to get a hold on our words, we're able to bridle our whole body. In other words, control our life, in a sense, by the words that we speak. And our words are so very important as it relates to the life that we live. What we say about our lives, what we say about the people in our lives, what we say about our circumstances has a great effect just how we enjoy life in general, enjoying relationships in general, are so uh, dependent on the words that we say. Verse 3 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are also very large and driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder. Where wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So the idea, the analogy is here that our tongue in relation to our, our whole body is small. But just like we put bits in the mouths of horses to direct them, and then also the same way we steer a large boat, a large boat actually has uh, relatively a small rudder compared to its size, but it actually steers the whole boat. And so the other, the, the, the idea is that what we say, the things that come out of our mouths, actually direct and steer our lives. And this is so important for us to remember. What we say is so important. How we say it um, is so important because the scripture is telling us here that it actually is directing our life in every respect. And then it said this, this last thing. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Has anyone ever set a fire with the words that you say? Anyone out there? Anyone want to admit it? Stay in church. Man, we can think of some forest fires that we set with the words that we said. And, and we can start an argument with words, can't we? And we can start anger and then more anger. And then sometimes when we just don't care, we're going to pour gasoline on that fire that we just created with the words that came out. I mean, we sparked the fire and then we're stoking the flames with more words. And this is, the, this is how powerful our words are. And we know this to be true. The, the, the words that we're sharing in the context of relationship are so very powerful and so important. You know, we've all heard the phrase, you know, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. In other words, words don't matter, but that's really not true. Words do actually matter. That we can actually inflict pain on somebody with the words that we say. Does anyone remember a time where somebody said something to you and it just really hurt and you would have rather they slapped you because the, the effects of the slap, you know, goes away in a few seconds, but sometimes words linger with us and they, they hang on, you know, they, they, they can go down into our soul and they can affect our psyche 
just by saying and expressing certain things. And so the scripture is telling us here that we are directing and controlling our whole life. So we shouldn't want to be setting fires with our words. So in other words, we have to be very intentional with what we say and how we say it because it does have a great effect on our relationships. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as, is, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Giving grace with our words. And then it says that our words should be building people up. But what does the first part say? Let no corrupting talk. Now, sometimes we think, well, no, corrupting talk is just like me saying swear words. And, you know, I recommend that you don't have a potty mouth, as your mom would say. But I think it goes beyond swear words. It goes beyond negative words that we can speak to people that actually hurt. Hurt the relationships that we have. That we wouldn't be corrupting our relationships with the things that we say. So what should we be doing with our words? We should be trying to speak words that build up that person, that fits the occasion. And then it says that we may be giving grace with our words, with our conversation. That sometimes in a conversation, we might not actually want to give grace. In other words, we give somebody something they don't deserve. And it's very easy just to respond in kind. If somebody sets a fire in your relationship with the words they say, it's very easy, once again, just to start another fire on the other side. They're burning something up with their words, and then you just want to burn it back, and then see, we, you know, we're all fighting fires with our tongues. But the scripture is telling us here that we would give grace with our words. Give grace with our words. Can anyone ever think of a time that... You responded with fire, and if you had a responded with grace, it would have made a big difference in the conversation. I'm sure we all can. Verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What does it say here in verse 30? It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that phrase is in the middle of us understanding how to do relationships. That we actually can be grieving the Spirit of God by what we say to each other and how we're speaking to each other. So we don't want to be uh, have corrupting talk coming over. We want to be building other, each other up. And then it says this in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander... Be put away from me. In other words, that we wouldn't be speaking words like that. And then it says this, verse 32. Now think about the words that we say. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Tender words. Kind words. Don't you prefer those? Don't you prefer hearing kind and tender words? You know, we actually have specific memories in our lives of people who spoke to us in certain ways. I, I was remembering um, we the, the first organized basketball team I played on in grade 8. Our coach was a very, very positive guy. And 
I just have very specific memories of him, you know, just speaking. And we were, you know, you're young and you don't have many adults a lot of times. I mean, my parents were very positive with me. But this was somebody sort of outside of my family being very positive with me. as well, 13 years old. And this guy was so encouraging, so positive. And we, we went a long way in the league that we played in that year. And then even when we finally, I think we lost in the semifinals or something. But even when we lost after the game, he was so positive with us saying, hey guys, it was a great year and blah, blah, blah. And just trying to find the positive side of what, what just went on. And those type of people, they, you know, they mark your life. They create an indelible mark on your life because of the words that they say. And we can learn that, and then we want to put that in practice in our lives. What are the words that we are saying in our relationships? Are we being bitter and angry? Is that our first emotion all of the time when something doesn't go our way in the context of a relationship? Are we just going to give voice to all of this? And a lot of this, once again, can uh, go to how you were brought up. You might have been brought up in a home where it was just angry all of the time. But I don't think we want to keep that going. We don't want to keep producing anger in our family, in our relationship, that God actually is telling us here that he wants us to be, and he compares it to our relationship with him. He wants us to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, not anger and wrath and bitterness. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. And this is the NLT translation. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. And I chose that translation for that purpose. Belching out foolishness. Can you remember a time where you just vomited words on somebody? Just to get it out there. But what does the first part of it say? A gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words makes tempers flare. A gentle answer. Now for anyone out there who is skilled linguistically, if you have some ability to do some sort of public speaking, you also have and you can use that same ability to do great damage with your words. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any people who out there who you like you're good with words and then you realize when you get angry, all of a sudden your linguistic skills go up a notch. And the pain that you can afflict with the words that you say, they are quite eloquent actually. And it's quite amazing. I know that I've you know, I do a little bit of public speaking once in a while. And at different times, you know, when people have made me really angry. It's just, you just want to respond. You want to take it up a notch. Does anybody know what I'm saying? That they've gone a step up the angry ladder and you're like, okay, we're going up this ladder. Let's go. Some of the best emails that I've ever written, I never sent. Somebody, you know, sent me something and I'm like, okay, let's go. And there's flames coming off my keyboard. And I read it, and I was proud of it, and there was scripture, and there was church history in it. <laughs> and sometimes I send it to my family, I'm like, uh, that's really good, but you can't send that. So some of the best emails I've written have never made the, right, the light of day. Some of my best social media posts 
just never made it out there. I typed it out, I had paragraphs, and then I had to go delete, 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 delete. Because it's so easy for us just to respond in anger. But what does it say? A gentle and an answer deflects anger. And so what does this mean? We have to be intentional. We have to know if we are an angry person or we're prone to anger. That we gotta stop, we gotta pause, we gotta slow down. We have to think about something else to say. Just not a response of fire, not a response of anger, that we can find a gentle answer in this moment. Because, you know, we can, go, we, can ang- we can be angry, you know, and respond and go back in anger. And then eventually somebody has to calm down. Somebody has to come off of the wall, the war wall that you're fighting from, and be like, okay, we need to find a solution here to this problem. So we don't want to live in that space. You know, it talks about here harsh words. That... When we are saying harsh words, a lot of times we're just measuring what's wrong with somebody else. And I would say a little bit in in this respect, because I have done this in my life, you just kind of have to get tired of how well that you can measure someone else's deficiencies. Well, here's what's wrong with them, and here's what's wrong with them, and here's what's wrong with our prime minister, and here's what's wrong with our premier, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you. And you kind of have to get a little bit exhausted. You have to get bored with your own ability to find what's wrong with everybody else. Because what we do is we end up just training ourselves to see negativity all of the time. And nobody wants to be in relationship with somebody who's always negative. You know, have you ever shopped for a new car? And when you, when you started to narrow it down to maybe that last new car, you happened to notice this car everywhere you drove. And you think, everybody drives this car. Why? Because you started to train your vision to see this car. And then you saw the car in your exact color and you followed it for a while just so you could look at it to make sure that you liked it. Why? Because you started to notice these things and you were on purposing, on purposing noticing these certain attributes. Same way in relationships. That we can actually retrain ourselves to look at the positive and see what people are doing well and emphasize that. It's very easy just to do, to stay on the negative side of life. Cause I mean, we're programmed this way in culture. If you ever watch the news, you know, there's like 25 stories of what's wrong with the world and then one sort of feel-good story that's on for like 15 seconds. And so we, this can train our minds to just look for the negative. But we have to retrain ourselves so that we actually look for the positives in uh, the people who are in relationship with us. <clears throat> what you look for, you will see. So we don't want to stay in that negative place. Proverbs chapter 18. I have this in two translations today. Proverbs chapter 18. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. The message paraphrase, and I love this. Words words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So what are we going to produce in our lives? Are we going to produce poison in the context of our relationship? Because what happens? We're, we put poison in our relationships. We're poisoning ourselves. Are we poisoning our spouse with our words? 
Are we tearing them down? Are we actually speaking words of life to them? Speaking good words, words that they actually want to eat, as it were, words that they actually want to hear. Are we poisoning all of our relationships with our professional negativity? We don't want to do that. We, we want to use our tongue for, for wise ways. You know, some of the negative things that we can do with our words, we can try to produce shame. We can try to shame people. You know, the phrase, uh, shame on you. It's not a healthy phrase to say to anybody. It's not a good thing. God doesn't want to produce shame in us. So why would we want to produce shame in other people? Let's get rid of shame on you. Just being angry all of the time. If we're angry all of the time, we talked about this a second ago, we can have negative words. Frustration. We can be trying to manipulate people with our words. Just to twist things and use our emotions and twisting this and that. They are just to manipulate people to get our way. That is poison in our relationship. So what are some of the good things that we can do? We can say thanks. Even for the things that someone in our life does all of the time. Just in the normal activities of life. Taking out the garbage, doing the dishes shoveling the snow, putting out the salt when they remember to do that. What are those small things? What are the monotonous things that the people that you're in relationship, what are those things that they're doing? Are you saying thanks for those things? Or you just expect it? You're entitled to it. No, that's not. That's no way to live. We want to be appreciative of what people are doing, saying thanks. Affection. Being affectionate with the people in our lives. Parents, be affectionate with your children. Hug them. Even if your parents didn't hug you, time to change it. You hug your children so that they feel your love and affection. Not just say, I love you, but actually hug them every day when they're leaving the house. Kiss them. Even the boys. They don't like it. It's too bad. Affection. Show affection to the people in your life. healthy for us and good and once again recognize the good things that people do now in all of this somebody might say well how then you know if we have an issue if there's something that we have to work through how is it that we say if we if we can only say tender-hearted things how do we actually work through a problem that we might have very simply the scripture says speak the truth in love Speak the truth in love. That's how we are able to deal with issues within the context of our relationship. Something's going wrong. We have to be able to talk about it. But how are we going to do it? Are we going to speak about it in anger and frustration and manipulation and shame? No, we actually want to speak truthful words in the context of love. That the person that we are in relationship with, it's not so much, oh, I just got to speak the truth. I I just got to speak the truth to them. Well, you know, it's good to speak truth. But how we speak that truth is so very important. And it actually makes a difference on how it's received by how we are saying that. The scripture tells us here in Proverbs chapter 16, we can see a tremendous contrast here in these verses about how words are spoken. Proverbs 16 verse 23, it says, The hearts of the wise make their mouth prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious Words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. In contrast to that, verse 27, a scoundrel plots evil, 
on their lips is like a scorching fire. A, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Can you see how those two things are differentiated? The way we say the words, so important. Verse 23, this is once again, if we want to get our point across, if we're trying to communicate something, saying it louder, again, might not actually help. Well, I'm going to say it louder because they didn't hear me the first time. And I'm going to say it angrier. Now, let's read this. The heart of a wise person makes their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Now, listen, gracious words. We already read that gracious words that I would actually say something. Maybe that this person doesn't actually deserve this in this moment because how they've treated me, what they've said to me. But once again, we can climb the ladder of anger. We can throw on more flames. Or we can find a way to be prudent with our words and speak gracious words. And what does it say? They're honeycomb. In other words, they're sweet. Finding sweet words to say in the middle of a difficult situation. In the middle sometimes of an angry situation. Because why? What, is it, what does it mean? What is the analogy here? Well, you can say angry words. We can say sweet words. Sort of put out the fire with our words, not build the fire up. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's turn over there. First Thessalonians 5 verse 11. It says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is a great thing for us to think about when we're communicating. In the context of any relationship that we have. What is it? I'm going to build somebody up. I'm going to encourage somebody. Somebody might be down. Somebody might be struggling. You know, even sometimes when somebody's angry with us, sometimes it's because of something that they're going through that isn't actually related to you. And then you just happen to be the recipient of their anger. But in that moment, what should we be thinking about doing? Responding with anger and harsh words? Or should we think about how can I actually encourage this person? How can I build this person up? Because when I build this person up that I'm a friend with or I'm married to or that is my parent or is my child, I can bring encouragement to them. I love that word encouragement. It just means, you know, if you are, if they're going through something that's difficult, they can actually borrow courage from you. If they're struggling, if they're disappointed, if they're discouraged, we can actually provide something in the context of that relationship. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Verse 12, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in a time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. And see, this should be our goal. We're not going to be able to control what everybody says or what everybody says to us. But our goal in our relationship should be to refresh other people. 
strengthen somebody else, encourage somebody else. Not everybody is going to do this to you all of the time. It's going to be difficult sometimes. But this is a much healthier goal than trying to browbeat somebody with your words. Trying to say it and say it and say it and be angry and say it again. Where do we get when we do relationships like that? We don't really get anywhere, but our words should be, what is this analogy? I love this analogy, like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, words that people actually want to hear. People can listen to what you say by how you say it. A couple more verses, we're almost done here. Galatians chapter 5. Now this, in these verses, this should be our goal for all of the relationship, that all of the relationships that we have. Now these two verses that we're going to read talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read it here. And, and think about this as it relates to how you communicate. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, you're never going to hit the limit of bringing joy to a relationship. You're never going to hit the limit of bringing too much peace or gentleness or patience to any relationship that you have. The people aren't ever going to get sick of you being peaceful. Oh, you're just so peaceful in this relationship. You're just so gentle and kind with me. I can't stand it. No, you're never going to hit the limit. Where you are going to hit the limit is being a fault finder. They're just going to get sick of it. Here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with you, and here's your shortcomings, and here's your shortcomings. The problem is, you have shortcomings too. That can't be the focus of our relationship. But I tell you, we'll never hit the limit if we go into relationships doing the fruit of the Spirit, bringing joy and peace and love and faithfulness, and making that our goal with the words that we say. Last verse is here in Psalm 141. Verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, as the lifting up of my hands, as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I love this. The psalmist is saying, You know, God, I, I worship you with my words, and I honor you with my words. But I don't just want to actually honor you with my words. I actually want to honor people with my words as well. See, and this is somehow where we get our, we get disconnected with our spiritual relationship. We can't just want to say wonderful and flowery and poetic words of love to God and then just be mean and nasty to people all of the time. It is actually something that we're supposed to be doing both ends, not one or the other. We say wonderful words to God. We sang wonderful words to God today. But we just don't want to use our words to say good things to God. The psalmist is telling us, hey, God, put a watch on my mouth. The door of my lips. So that I can be intentional with my words. That I can be speaking grace. That I can be speaking encouragement and love. That I can be deflecting harsh words with gracious answers. Let's just pray this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father God, like the psalmist, we pray that you would put a watch on the door of our mouths. Father, we we pray that you forgive us if we have recently spoken harsh and angry and frustrated words to somebody, that we've torn somebody else down. Forgive us, Father. Lord, we pray that you show us how powerful and positive our words can be. That we can speak positive and encouraging words, that we can speak sweet words to other people in our lives. Lord, we don't want to ruin our own relationships by what we say. So we just pray, Lord, your help by your spirit. That we, if we are quick to respond a lot of times, Father, that you would help us to pause. And you would help us to respond, Lord, from the fruit of the spirit. We just thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.